On December 23, 2021, Karen Ferguson, the founder of the Pension Rights Center and its director, died. She leaves behind a loving family and countless friends and colleagues, including myself, who will grieve the loss of a truly wonderful person who has helped so many through her tireless and visionary work at the Pension Rights Center. This month's episode of Arissa Watch is a tribute to Karen. Karen Ferguson, a brilliant alumni of Harvard Law School, founded the Pension Rights Center in 1976. Under Karen's direction until late last year, the center has operated ever since that time with a tiny staff and on a shoestring budget and has done truly amazing work. It has helped tens of thousands of people who had questions about or problems with their pension It has educated lawyers and workers and retirees alike about the intricacies of ERISA and their pension rights under the law, and the center has been at the forefront of proposing and commenting on legislation and regulations pertaining to pensions. With me to discuss this is Norm Stein. Norm is the Senior Policy Advisor to the PRC. In that role, he provides the center with legal advice on pension issues. He authors Friends of the Court briefs on behalf of the center, and he represents the center before Congress. He's also a professor at Drexel University in Philadelphia, where he teaches classes on pensions and other employee benefits. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about Karen Ferguson and the Pension Rights Center. Oh, it's my pleasure. It seems really appropriate today on Martin Luther King Day to talk about someone who dedicated her life fighting for justice and equity for workers and their families. First of all, I I just want to say I'm really sorry for your loss. I know Karen was both a personal friend and a colleague. I also know Karen was instrumental in founding the center and in running it for the past 45 years, almost since the beginning of ERISA. Would you mind giving our listeners an overview of the Pension Rights Center and, and what it does? So the Pension Rights Center, um, I mean, it's it's kind of mission is inextricable from its history. Karen, after she graduated from law school, had a, a number of short-term jobs. She worked for a law firm in Chicago while her husband was going to law school at University of Chicago. And she also had a brief stint at the National Labor Relations Board. And then went to work uh, as a lawyer for a Ralph Nader's public interest research group. And there were a number of very idealistic, very capable lawyers who were working with Nader at the time. And at some point, uh, Ralph offered to seed them with startup money to start a uh, consumer-oriented public interest group. Karen was of the lawyers, the one who was interested in pensions, which she said as soon as she got exposure to it, uh, she just thought it was sort of a fascinating issue because it's so affected people's lives. So Nader gave her some seed money and she set up the Pension Rights Center in in 1976. And Pension Rights Center in various parts, I I guess in its earliest days, were really just Karen and uh, a couple of staff people. And over the course of this, uh, the center's history, it generally had a staff of between five and 
at a high point, maybe 10 or 11. But in some ways, the center was always responsive to kind of Karen's sense of what was important. And typically, she had three activities, which I, I, I think she thought were central to the center's mission. And one was to help individuals. So throughout the center's history, either formally or informally, the center has helped people who've had pension problems, people who have worked for 30 or 35 years and retire and find out that the pension plan they thought was going to provide a certain benefit is either going to provide no benefit or a lower benefit than they had expected. That role is, is so unique and so important. And just to explain to our listeners why, if somebody has a pension issue you know, that is sort of worth suing in court about, you know, that's one thing they might be able to find a lawyer, depending on how much money is involved, how big the issue is, because, you know, very small cases are are hard for lawyers to bring. And certainly for people who don't have a case who just want help filing for a pension, or finding out how, you know, getting information about that, this role that this very small organization plays has always astounded me. And it's just, it's so critical to people. You've been helpful to so many people over the years. And, you know, just going back to what you said at the beginning, I I think I read that the Pension Rights Center was seeded with, I think, $5,000. Yeah, I think $10,000, actually. Oh, $10,000. Okay, I know it was a small amount of money. Well, 1976, it was bigger than it sounds now. <laughs> yeah, but still, it's not a, not a huge amount of money, even then. I, I, I remember those days. Yeah. So, you know, the way they help people, I mean, part of it is just hands-on. I mean, Karen never turned down. So somebody could call her in the middle of the night and she would speak with them and then be up the next morning doing research. Actually, Karen was a late riser. It might not be till the next afternoon. Um, But um, among the other things she she did to help people, uh, you know, she saw a real need and she was able to persuade um, uh, Congress that uh, the old under the Older Americans Act, um, it might make sense to have pension counseling centers across the country that would provide free help for people not to bring actual lawsuits, but to help them up to the point where you might have to bring a lawsuit. So filing applications, explaining benefits, handling administrative level appeals. Yeah, so that resulted in and not an expensive ask for you know the kinds of services that were being provided. Uh, there are now six pension counseling projects across the country, and they help literally you know ten thousand or more people a year. Over the history of the project, at a cost of just a I don't know two or three percent at most of the total recoveries. I think the pension recoveries have been in the many many hundreds of millions of dollars range. And another another thing that Karen has been very good at, and I think you know this personally, is enlisting really talented benefits lawyers uh, to help people, sometimes by bringing to their attention problems that affect lots of people rather than just a few individual people, and sometimes asking for their help just on a pro bono basis. Uh, so we've had cases where you know somebody with a relatively small pension issue that probably would not be financially worth taking all of a sudden finds themselves represented by a senior attorney at one of the nation's largest law firms so another thing she did also was she created a, a lawyer's referral list where lawyers put themselves on the list to provide either pro bono services or 
fee-for-service uh, help for people who need pension help. And one of the other things that I, I thought was sort of remarkable about Karen, she she once told me, you know, she spent, for somebody who was so talented and had so many demands on her time, I don't think anything gave her as much personal pleasure as as talking with people who were having their lives uh, you know, uprooted in part because of pension problems and to see if she could do something to help them. But she once said that she thought it was really important, even if she felt that there was nothing that could be done legally to help somebody, that just having the opportunity for people to tell their story to somebody who was sympathetic, and even if the law uh, was behaving stupidly and didn't provide them with a remedy, somebody could say to them, what happened to you really is wrong and unfair. But the way the law is developed, maybe we can't do very much. And just knowing that somebody sympathetic would take time to think about what they were telling them and respond and give them advice what was to her a kind of victory in itself for that person. And I, she also said sometimes it just helps people have closure. If there's not much they can do to hear somebody who's on their side say, there's not really much that can be done. It's just wrong what happened to you. That in itself was a very important thing. Yeah, and I think that was her one of her superpowers, so to speak, her empathy and her ability to listen to people and also, as you say, to talk to people across a broad spectrum and enlist people from sort of big law law firms who, you know, might normally be on the other side of pension issues, but, you know, were willing to, on a pro bono basis, represent or help an individual person who is having trouble in regards to their pension. So... She really was, you know, a remarkable person in in that sense at bring, listening to people, bringing people together, which is a pretty wonderful thing in this in this world we live in. Yeah. So a second thing that was very important in the Pension Rights Center was making the system work better for people, and you know, in part because she was in such close contact with the actual people who had problems. Uh, she often was able to identify problems with the law, you know, gaps in the law where people were really getting hurt because of those gaps. And when she identified a problem, you know, she would try and rectify it either by trying to persuade agencies to uh, change their rules and regulations and often going to Congress and saying, here's a problem that needs to be corrected. And for a small organization, Karen was remarkable. And she always had the ear of important policymakers. And she also had an ability to see unlikely allies uh, for some of these issues that she thought needed addressing. Uh, so she was very good when she thought things had to be changed in identifying people who had common ground on that particular issue. In her last year of life, uh, she was working very hard on helping people who had been overpaid benefits, innocent people who the plan had made a mistake when they retired and miscalculated their benefit and the plan was paying them a larger benefit, not a larger benefit than the participant believed they had earned, but a larger benefit than might have been technically available under the plan. And I know you've worked on some of these cases uh, and the plan, when it discovers its error, rather than say, well, it was my mistake, I'm responsible for the error, or it was a mistake of somebody I hired, I'm going to ask who I hired and made the miscalculation to remedy that error. Pension plans often proceed against the participant who is totally innocent. It's too late for the participant to go back to work, to readjust uh, their finances, to reflect the lower benefit. And she worked very hard at trying to get this changed both by the uh, the relevant agency, which was the Department of Treasury and the IRS, 
but she put together a common ground group that included a number of big firms that didn't like the idea that the IRS was suggesting they had an obligation to collect. And ultimately, this produced a legislative proposal, which we think has great bipartisan support that will, one, tell employers you don't need to correct these mistakes once they're made. And second, if you do correct them, the participants need to get protection. You can't just reduce their future benefits to zero to collect the overpayments that have already been made. You know, so that was one of hundreds of examples where Karen really sought to change the law. She saw problems because people came to her with these problems and she said, something's wrong here and we should change the law so this doesn't happen. Another example, her first, I think, major impact on legislation came in 1984 when Congress enacted the uh, Retirement Equity Act. And before 1984, if somebody retired and they were married, they could choose without their spouse's participation to take an annuity for their life and no survivor benefit for their spouse or a somewhat reduced benefit for their life, but then a, a survivor benefit if their spouse survives them. And of course, the time, and I guess still, usually the spouse is a woman uh, who's likely to outlive uh, her husband because women have longer life expectancies. And these decisions were being made by the participant without consulting the spouse. And it wasn't always selfish on their part. When I was giving somebody advice about 15 years ago about what benefit they should take, there were two benefits. One had a survivor benefit of their spouse, which was lower lifetime benefit. And the other was no survivor benefit, but a higher benefit uh, during the life of the, um, the employee. And the employee said, I don't understand this. Why would they ask me to take a lower benefit? Is this some kind of trick question? Right. And as soon as I explained it to him, he understood that, in fact, it wasn't a trick question. He was looking out for his spouse by taking the slightly lower benefit during his lifetime. But I think people made that mistake pretty routinely. And what Karen thought is that this decision really should be made in consultation with the spouse and the spouse should have to consent and the consent should be notarized or witnessed by a plan administrator. And she got that change made to the law. And I think it's helped literally millions of women who otherwise would not have survivor benefits. I had no idea Karen and the Pension Rights Center were involved in, in that change. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. And the other thing about that legislation, you know, it was seen as you know, pension equity was really talking about equity for women. And it made a number of other changes, some of which were things that Karen really fought for. One in particular um, uh, which, you know, she, uh, I don't think she was the only person pushing for this particular change, but there was confusion in the early days of ERISA about whether on divorce, a state family court could divide a pension. And there were two concerns. One was preemption of state law and the other was ERISA's anti-alienation provision. And that's a law that created the quadra, the qualified domestic relations order. And so Karen was partly responsible for getting into the law the recognition that pensions were important property for married couples and that they should be able to be divided at divorce. Years went by and Karen never thought that what Congress did with quadros was the perfect solution. She thought there were a lot of problems. And 40 years after that statute was enacted, uh, Karen helped create a common ground project, which is going on right now, to try and make quadros work a lot better particularly for women. So, you know, she got that initial change, but she watched how the law developed and thought, you know, it's good that we changed the law, but 
the law here can still use some improvement and make it work better and fair in a, in a fairer way. Yeah, so when she deals with a problem, she never completely filed it away as a finished project. Everything was continuing. If we can make it better, we should work to make it better, even if it's going to take years and years to make the improvement. Yeah, well, ERISA certainly still is a work in progress. That's for sure. It it can use some of that long-term kind of planning. And Karen was very aware of what the problems were. And I hope both of these pieces of legislation get passed. And I think there is some hope for both. And another thing, aside from trying to make the law we have now work better, you know, another project she had was sort of more visionary, which is a lot of things about our pension system, the way it's structured, just don't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, she thought 401k plans were, you know, not the best way to help people save for retirement, better than nothing, a lot better than nothing, but not by any means the way a rational person would design a retirement savings program. So she was constantly saying, how could we reimagine the pension system if we were really going to make real changes to it? How can we do that? What would the pension system look like if it wasn't reliant on things like 401k plans where people have to decide whether to participate, decide how much to contribute, decide how to handle their investments. And then when they reach retirement age, they have a pot of money rather than a lifetime annuity. And then they have to figure out not only how to manage the money in retirement, but also how to draw it down so they don't run out of money before they die. And, uh, you know, she felt that there were a lot of other nations that do kind of a better job at structuring their retirement system, the, the retirement plans their citizens use. And she thought we should be thinking about those issues, both because thinking about those issues gives us clues how to make our existing system work better, but also in the long term, maybe we should be thinking about making really important changes in our system to make it work better. What else do you see as one of the big issues and how optimistic are you about these issues being addressed either in the short or, or long term? Well, you know, to the extent we're, we're partly focused on Karen, she may be gone, but the organization she built uh, is still there. Um but, you know, a lot of issues, I mean, one, one thing I think about sometimes is, you know, there is a, you know, sort of a pension industry and it's, it's hard to make change, right? It's, uh, there's a lot of resistance and some of the resistance comes uh, out of financial self-interest, right, from people who are part of this pension industry. And part of it comes from just inertia. And most people, I'm learning this as I get older and looking at my own changes in personality, but people don't like change, right? And we have a system that may not work well, but it does sort of work for a lot of people. And even when you could kind of recognize that it's not working as well as it should. And you know, part of this is to persuade people that what we have now is an imperfect system, but you can certainly either through incremental change or more dramatic change, have a system that works, I think, considerably better than we have now. And and the other story I was going to tell deals with the multi-employer plans. A lot of them had very serious problems, financial problems for a variety of reasons, uh, which had nothing to do with, you know, it wasn't the fault of the participants at all. And often it was economic factors that nobody had really any control over. And, um, and Congress in 2014 passed legislation which Pension Rights Center really opposed, which allowed multi-employer plans to do something which we thought had ended when Congress passed ERISA, which is to reduce the benefits of people who had already earned the benefits and including people who were already retired. 
and uh, and Karen said, and Pension Rights Center said, this is a terrible law. It's upsetting a fundamental understanding that you don't cut a pension benefit once it's completely earned. And second, you're leaving this decision up to the plan trustees. And if you do that, we know what's going to happen. The people who are going to have serious cuts in benefits are people who are already retired, and they're the most vulnerable. And the reason that's going to happen is the trustees, as, as good people as they might be, typically are appointed by people who either represent employers or active employees. Plus, if you're trying to get a lot of money, people in pay status, are, that's where the money is. And sure enough, a prediction came true that the applications to cut benefits slashed really harshly the benefits of people already retired for whom it was too late to go back to work or do something. And you know, sometimes the benefits were slashed by upwards of 50% for people already retired. And after the bill passed, she said, we have to do something. And she worked really, really hard. And ultimately, Congress passed this Butch Lewis Act, which involved no cuts to retirees. It allowed plans to apply for federal assistance so they didn't have to cut benefits. And I remember during that process, so many people who might have otherwise been allies, and I kind of agreed, you know, you're never going to be able to get legislation to protect the benefits that have already been earned. People are going to have to take at least some cut in benefits because that's what's politically possible. And Karen said no. And when that act passed without benefit cuts, people were calling Karen, people who had opposed her, saying that her vision was naive, that it was never going to happen and say, well, I'm so glad that you stuck out because you were you were right. We were able to get this legislation. And she really helped put together the coalition that pushed for that legislation, which were grassroots organizations and employers and virtually everybody with an interest in the system and pension fairness. And that was something else about Karen. Her optimism and idealism, I think, expanded kind of the realm of what might be possible. Well, I have to say, I think there was no one or very few people who thought as deeply about pensions, who did as much educating about pensions, who played such a unique and important role in the private pension system as as Karen and and you know through her vision the the pension rights center which will carry on this work I think into the future and you know it is a pretty unique role I think that Karen played and that the pension rights center plays in this world of ERISA there there aren't that many nonprofits quite frankly and I've always been so amazed and impressed by the pension rights center Yeah, she once said, our job is to figure out what's right and then figure out how to get it done. You know, I think in these times, it's really easy to be pessimistic, to think of everything as politically impossible and to have a tendency towards inertia, as you said, to sort of um, give up. And everything about Karen was the opposite of that. And I'm really going to miss her, as I'm sure, you know, everybody who knew her will. Yeah. How can our listeners get involved in advancing all this good work that the Pension Rights Center is doing? Well, there are all all sorts of things people can do and do do. Some people volunteer to help with particular issues. Uh, and that's been particularly true of retired attorneys, that sometimes they come to us and say, oh, I was, was on the other side of issues, but now I'm retired. And there are some things I'd love to work with you on if you could use my help. And, and that's really valued. And then, of course, if you're willing to take cases, either pro bono or take difficult cases that may produce fees, then that's, of course, a 
something that is really needed. You know, there just aren't enough good educated ERISA lawyers who help participants. Right? There are a lot of people on the other side, but the plaintiff's bar is relatively small and having good lawyers willing to step in in cases is important. Participating in common ground solutions and of course, money. I mean, foundation support is important, but it's hard to obtain. Pensions is not a sexy issue, but people could make contributions to the Pension Rights Center. They can go on the website and donate there or call up or send a check in the mail. So there are lots of ways to get involved. You can volunteer in a variety of ways. You can give money, and of course, you could do both. Small gifts and large gifts are really welcome. Although I, th- I think Karen's favorite gift was when we get a small gift with a note attached saying, you really helped me, <laughs> and I, I just want to pay it forward. That's wonderful to hear. Well, thank you for taking the time today to be able to talk about the Pension Rights Center and to talk about Karen and honor her and the work that she's done and that still needs to be done. So thanks again, Norman. Yeah, well, well, thank you for doing this. And yeah, she really, I know she really thought a lot about you and uh, was very grateful for the work that you've done with us. Thank you, Norman. Um, Again, I'm really, really sorry for your loss and for, um, for everyone's loss here. Yeah. As you've just heard, Karen was a truly amazing woman who dedicated her life to helping others. But as tireless as she was, she couldn't have done and didn't do this work alone. There are many other people who have worked for or still work for the Pension Rights Center, and even more who have volunteered their time or money or both to help. Frankly, although pension, healthcare, and other employee benefit plans are of vital importance to people, as my listeners have heard me discuss over the past year, there are not very many charitable organizations dedicated to helping people protect and advance these rights. In addition to the Pension Rights Center, I want to give a shout out to the AARP Legal Foundation, which does similar work focused on retirees, and to United Policyholders, which helps many people every year with their insurance issues, including, most recently, hundreds of homeowners in Colorado who lost everything in the devastating fires there. So if your New Year's resolution was to do more good in the world, and it should be, then please consider volunteering for or giving money to the Pension Rights Center or to one of the other organizations I've mentioned. Do it as a tribute to Karen Ferguson. As always, today's episode was brought to you by Cantor and Cantor. Our producer is Emily Hopkins. Our composer and engineer is Andrew Payson. Special thanks to Norm Stein for sharing his stories about Karen and the great work of the Pension Rights Center. New episodes of Arissa Watch will be available the first Friday of every month. I'm Elizabeth Hopkins. See you next time.